All right, KISS Army, welcome to the KISS FAQ podcast. Thank you for letting us into your head. I hope we don't do any damage. This is a KISS-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to episode 62 of the KISS FAQ podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Julian, the admin on the FAQ board. Joining me today, Mark, Marcus Almighty, Lonnie, St. Louis KISS, and Ken, 69th Blizzard. Welcome back, gentlemen. It's good to see you on Friday. So we are going to get to the second part of a topic that we left unfinished some time ago. And I, you know, I was going to look up what episode it was, but I forgot. And that's just how my day is rolling. So there is a lot of show prep involved for this show. Don't fool yourself. To do podcasting at this level, just about anyone can do. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> you out there can do your own. So let's get on to this topic. Uh, we're going to do part two of the Best Kiss co-writers. And I think in the last episode, we made it as far as the end of the makeup era uh, with creatures. And yeah. do, do correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm often wrong. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. And we'd kind of, I, I guess, we'd, what was the consensus on that one? That Ezrin? was the most useful co-writer for the originals period. Yeah. Just, yeah, just I, be- I think so. And we all, there was a couple of, uh, I guess maybe, uh, yeah, a couple of people who mentioned Vinny, but I think that was more just to taunt a few, you know. Yeah, Vinny, Vinny only wrote, co-wrote three songs on Creatures, so you yeah. know, he really doesn't have his Orin. Bob had, of course, co-written a yeah. lot of stuff on The Elder, which makes him a, an automatic winner for the Award of Greatest Co-Writer, and, of yeah. course, Destroyer. And I think my choice had been Stan Penridge, who had uh, done a lot of the kind of like the more classic-y type stuff in, in that era. But let's get in. We're now into the 80s. Off comes the makeup, and you get to see Vinny in all his glory. Um, mm-hmm. And Lick It Up comes out, and he has a co-write on, what is it? Nine of the ten songs. I mean, the, the only exception being... Um, Fits no. Like a Glove? Yeah, Fits Like a Glove and Dance All Over Your Face. So eight, eight out of ten. Eighty percent co-write level. Vinny Vincent, welcome to the band. Lonnie, yeah. what's your thoughts on Vinny co-writing well, on this album? Lick It Up gets a lot of praise from a lot of Kiss fans saying it's their, their favorite non-makeup album. And that... Uh, you know, they is people love creatures, and you know, people often often say as well that look it up picked up where creatures left off. And if you like this era of the band, well, Vinnie Vincent is responsible for, like you said, Julian, eighty percent of the songs on there, and a lot of the songs that they can, you know, they played look it up live, obviously for, and they still do, and. um they played. Uh, I mean, million to one. That's a great. That's a great song. And fits like, well, fits like a glove. They played that for the whole through the eighties. But Vinny didn't have the co-write on that. But um, it's a, it's a great album. And Exciter. People always talk about how they want to hear Exciter live again to to bring back some some things from that. And Vinny is all over this album. And I mean, like him, like him or not. Like him for, I mean, he has his demons, there's no doubt. But he is, 
a talented songwriter. You can't you you can't deny that no matter you know how much he has you know issues off stage. You got to give props to him for this album. There's no doubt. Vinny has issues. Don't just dis- don't destroy my dream, man. <laughs> well, no. I heard no. I heard a rumor this week about pink feathers and. Oh god! Oh god! Yeah, pink, pink feathers, um, peeing on guitars, all that sort of thing. Yeah, you know he he's special in all sorts of special way. You know what I like about Vinny on this album, and I was absolutely blown away when I first heard "Lick It Up" because it seemed to be a, a real paradigm shift um, in the lyrical department. All of a sudden, you Vinny's like his fingerprints all over there. I mean, "Give Me More" is a great example of all those little, you know, kind of phrases that Gene would write in his. Um, volumes yeah. of notebooks that never get used well here are Books. the ones that do get used out of Vinny's notebook i mean come on look at my candy cane it's yeah. you know, i mean that's just a great one um you know but you know maybe, maybe my mind's in the gutter so um you know that's what i like about the, the whole album and exciter it's just the lyrics really change the songs and obviously his guitar playing you, you get a an essence of him you know, that he's kind of restrained and fitting into the mold at this point, um, whereas the stuff on Creatures doesn't really count in that he's just a hired hand and they said, okay, we're going to use your songs. So here he is now as more of a part of the band and they're taking everything he's offering, including the recycling the stuff from Warrior, the taking riffs, taking lyrics, taking whatever. I mean, they're almost hanging him upside down by his ankles and shaking him until he's empty and saying, give up the goods, Vinny. And at that point, I guess he was willing because he, he was a nobody in essence. Ken, what are your thoughts on Lick It Up and Vinny as a co-writer? Uh, I think it's fantastic. Um, it was a real shot in the arm that they needed. Um, even though Creatures was a great album, um, Lick It Up was just another step uh, in the right direction. And uh, yeah, his his uh, mark is left all over Lick It Up. And I would <laughs> I would almost say that this is this could be Vinnie Vincent's first solo album <laughs> with Kiss backing him in a way um, because he left so much of his music in all of the songs and it's just his style. Um, and then merged with kiss. It just became a great thing. Um, it just, you know, raised the level for, for Gene Simmons, um, <clears throat> the way he sings on the album and, and Paul Stanley, you can, you can, you can tell the difference. Um, and it just reinvigorated the band. And, uh, you know, it's one thing, Vinny, great, great songwriter. Um, great, probably musician, of course, too. Um, but it's just uh, too bad we don't see him these days. Yeah, it's a loss. I mean, 20 years really have gone by without anything out of Vinny whatsoever, which is uh, really I disappointing. Think, I think the last picture we've even seen of Vinny was his mugshot. Yeah, that, 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 <laughs> that is. That was several years ago. Yeah, and that was an improvement on the previous last picture. It was him, <laughs> him and the loafers holding the posters back for, for Kiss World. So, you know, it, it just seems like a terrible waste. But, uh, Mark, from a musical perspective, does Vinny raise the whole band's game? Do you think they step up as a result of him? And what, well, are, your th- what are your thoughts on Lick It Up? Definitely. I think there's no doubt that I think Lick It Up is Vinny's crowning crowning achievement as far as songwriting goes. I mean, he's always been, well, he's been noted as claiming that he's only shown 20% of his potential when he was with Kiss 
But if that's 20%, I think it's just best that he stay at that 20% because when he went beyond it, it was just hideous in spots. But um, yeah, I think that he did a great job. I mean, this is another great example of chemistry. I mean, you may not like the person on a personal level, but there's something about Vinny as a songwriter that he just works well with people like Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons and brought out some of the more standout songs that they still play today and that people love. I mean, Lick It Up, like we all said, is a record that people still talk about and still love and listen to to this day. And I mean, besides just the songwriting, I think the moons were sort of aligned for this record. I mean, Michael James Jackson there did a great job producing it. And I mean, you know, Dave Whitman, again, I think was engineer and mixed it. And, you know, all those things combined with great songs make for a great record. So I think Lick It Up, benefited not only from Vinny's writing and his great guitar playing, but, you know, from all those other little avenues that helped take the song and just project it that much more stronger. Yeah, sonically and in terms of production and the overall sound of a complete album, it's one of the most pleasing to my ears. And I think you you raise a really good point on 20% of Vinnie Vincent is probably a better idea than allowing him 100%. And I'm going gi- <laughs> to give an example that doesn't exactly relate to Lick It Up specifically, though parts do. Take the Warrior version of Boys Are Gonna Rock, listen to that, and then listen to the Vinnie Vincent Invasion version, and then kind of... There's your 20%, the restrained warrior version, which is very rock. And then there is the attack of the killer bees. Um, you know, just, it just too much. Vinny is not a good thing. And that's what I, that's what's really excellent about this album that he's not in a position to overrule Gene and Paul, but Gene and Paul are milking him for everything he's worth on the album. And it's all working out very nicely. So, you know, Vinny. By far, I mean, it, it, it's absolutely stunning the, the the songwriting that he provides on this on this album. And you can kind of tell where it is. You can see where the ideas are coming from Gene and Paul, and are being buttressed by his input because it, you know he, he he's very obvious. So you know, great album. And then we move on to Animalize, and it's all downhill from there. <laughs> I'm I'm going to admit straight up that Animalize is one of my least favorite albums of the 80s. However, it's grown on me a lot in, in recent years. In, in the 80s, I listened to it a few times and then basically cut three songs off it and put it on a play mix or play tape, whatever the hell it was called, and never went back to it. Here we get... It's like creatures all over again, that it's a real hodgepodge, uh, a, a mix of different writers. You get the introduction of Jean Beauvoir from the Plasmatics. You get Desmond Child rearing his head again. Um, but I, I think the most important co-writer on this one's uh, Mitch, and that is, of course, mm-hmm. Weissman. He comes in with three co-writing credits, um, You know, two with Gene, one, one with Paul. So Animalize, thoughts on that, um, Lonnie? Um, I had Animalize very early on on cassette, and I I really liked it back then um, as a young kid. And I, I but today it's one of those albums that I kind of with you, Julian, that I probably listened to the least out of any of the of the Kiss albums. Um, if I'm going to throw on a Kiss album, it's not going to be Animalize. The only time I'll hear an, an Animalize song most of the time is if I'm if I have a like a kiss type playlist or something like that going, you know, and Heavens on Fire will come up. But 
and and I do like I've had enough into the fire. I think Desmond Child did a great job on that and Heaven's on Fire. Well, the two first two songs on the album I think are are very good. I think Desmond Child did an excellent job co-writing both of those with Paul Stanley. Um, you know, and we all know what was going on with the band at this time when Animal Eyes kind of came out with Gene focusing more on crappy movies and leaving Paul to the reins of the band. And even Gene's co-writes with Mitch Wiseman are, are really rough, in my opinion. Um, While the City Sleeps, Murder in High Heels, don't do it for me. Sorry, at all. And even Get, get All You Can Take is not... It's not all bad. I mean, I'll I'll give that a listen here and there. That's not all bad, but I'm not a big. But to say it's not all bad isn't isn't exactly singing its praises either. Um, Under the gun isn't isn't something that I'm that gets me fired up for either. Desmond Child isn't something that like you don't hear people saying, oh, you know, why don't why don't they bring back Under the Gun or something like that? You just it's. It's just not there. And then Bouvier on Thrills Thrill in the Night isn't bad either. It's not bad, but it's not anything, again, to get excited about. So I think it's a very lackluster album and very much of a step back from what you had gotten the two previous years with, with Creatures and, and Lick It Up. And that's not a hot take or anything like that to say that Animalize is a step back from what they were doing because I think we're all going to agree that Julian alluded to it when, he, when we started talking about the album that it's, it was downhill from there. So I know they had, they brought in some different co-writers, but it just, it doesn't. <clears throat> too, too many co-writers perhaps in this sense, especially mm-hmm. when Gene's, um, you know, I, I guess his stuff is the stuff that really lets us down and maybe his is the stuff that really needed Vinnie Vincent, um, mm-hmm. you know, to, to give it the quality boost. But, you know, Mitch Weissman's style doesn't seem to work for songs on a Kiss album here. It's almost like those, particularly the two with Gene, should have been shopped to other bands because temp- tempo-wise, they're not the sort of tempo for Kiss. Mark, what are your what's your take on these co-writers? This whole gaggle of them on Animalize. Well, um, it's it's interesting. We all seem to have this perspective that it's all kind of downhill from here. But the interesting point of the whole thing is that this is one of the first records in a long time that went platinum for them. So, I mean, it may have, may have went downhill from here in our eyes, but in the general publics at that time, it certainly didn't. But um, there's a few things in here I found kind of interesting. One, the obvious inclusion of, you know, the extra writers, which is not new for Kiss at all, but, you know, <clears throat> going from a record before where there was actually probably not, like nobody, just Vinny and the band doing this in songs to having a record where there's three outside writers was a change in dynamic. Another change in dynamic too was gone is the producer and in steps in Paul Stanley. And we know how that starts happening later on as well. And this is something that I think that people started not liking as much. I think the outside real producer was the way that they should have stuck and having Paul come in, produce it while it did good. The record, I think it was starting to show you know, a little bit of uh, weakness in the sound. I don't think it sounds as good as Lick It Up, nor, you know, Creatures, this record. But, you know, thank God for Heaven's on Fire. It was the big single. It pushed it, and it made, you know, everybody aware of Kiss still, and, you know, they 
they were able to, you know, produce a platinum record because of it. But the writing, you know, I don't think the co-writers helped in this instant. I mean, the big song was, you know, Heaven's on Fire, right? And it was just basically Desmond Child and Paul Stanley for that, right? I mean, if they would have just kept maybe with just Desmond for the rest of the record, maybe it would have been better if they just kept it with just one extra writer instead of bringing in a bunch of other people. But I, I, th- I think that a few things changed for it. And while we all think now, as years have gone by, that it doesn't do the trick as much as lick it up, you know, at that moment when it came out, you know, people thought different. It was, a like I said, it was a platinum record. I know when I read Chris Lent's book, the record label was very pleased that they were selling that well. I mean, and even promoters were, they were starting to add secondary markets on their tour for that tour because they were doing much better because of sales. So, you know, it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, and you just raised an interesting point. I just had to Google it quickly because, you know, Desmond Child, it doesn't have to co-write every song on an album for it to be successful. I just wanted to look up Slippery One Wet as an example, and he only co-wrote four songs on that album. So, you know, mm-hmm. just, just the importance of the co-writer, you know, is not necessarily the key to the success of an album. One other thing I wanted to quickly touch on before I go to Ken, and sorry, Ken, keeping you waiting there. Um, Animalize, I really feel, is a beneficiary of the success of Lick It Up and the unmasking, rather than, you know, its near double platinum status having anything to do with double uh, with Animalize itself. I think it has more to do with the knock-on effect of of the previous album that it was just a solid thing. Mm-hmm. So, Lonnie, you look like and the and the success there. of and the success of the Heavens on Fire video too. I think really spawned a lot of album sales. You know, you got to remember. In 1984, that MTV was really becoming one, was becoming king of, it wasn't just important to have a, a good single, but it was important just as, if not more important, to have a good video at that point in time. And say what she wanted about the video, but the video was what was really big on MTV and that, you know, videos were, at the time, were, were spawning a lot of album sales too. Yeah, and the video's fun, you know. It's just, you know, the the album in terms of like, you know, packaging, Look at that cover. I mean, that's like the elder in terms of the amount of effort that goes into getting some animalistic throw rugs down and taking a picture of them or building a, a door. You know, it's, <laughs> it's like for the album cover. Here, let's get some throw rugs, put them together, take the picture. Okay, let's do lunch. Yeah. <laughs> so so that, not one of my favorites. Ken kept you waiting. So what's your thoughts on? That's all right. Um, well, I agree uh, actually with you, Julian and Lonnie a bit. Um, I think they did have momentum. Going from creatures to lick it up, and then um, uh, animalize and uh, lick it up was you know a pretty good song, a pretty big song on on, on that album. And then now Heaven's on Fire is similar in a way in style to that, and that's what really I think sold the album um, Heaven's on Fire because really about fifty percent is of this album is good and. The other fifty percent is pretty much not very good. So, um, sounds pretty nice. Uh, and and Desmond Child is good to bring in. I think he probably, if you think look at it this way, he thirty three percent of the time he writes with you, you might get a hit. Um, uh, so some you know, not every song he writes with you is going to be a hit. So you know, he's probably third of the time, one out of everything, it's pretty not too bad. You know, if you give him the right few songs with you, you might have one hit. So, 
Uh, and then Mitch Weissman, those songs there, except for, I, I like Get All You Can Take. I've always loved that song. Um, so that's pretty good. Uh, yeah. it's, it's a Stanley song more than Weissman, I would guess, too. Um, but uh, the ones at the end, which is probably the right place to put those two songs, <laughs> While the City Slips and, and Murder in High Heels, those two are an- another case of unfinished songs uh, where they could have been better. They could have done some things and, and made them a more complete song. And Gene's Lonely as a Hunter and Burn, Bitch, Burn both could have used a co-writer who should have said, mm-hmm. Gene, these aren't good songs. Don't use them. Um, you know, dread, yeah. dreadful stuff. So I, I guess is there a consensus that Desmond Child is the co-writer of note on this album? Rather, Does he, does he beat Mitch? Yeah, 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 and this, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sorry, Mitch, didn't work out this time. So moving on, and I'm I'm actually just going through the website while I'm doing this because I can't remember these co-writers off off the top of my head. So I got them written. So for Asylum, next we have Desmond Child, Howard Rice, Jean Bouvier, Rod Svensson, and West Beach. I ref- I refuse to to accept that or pardon me accept that as a co-write. Um, <laughs> so let's start with Jean again because on this album he's one third responsible for one of my all time favorite Kiss songs. That's Who Wants to Be Lonely, and that is you know of course this is all coming back to the period of. Uh, you know, when I became a fan and these videos were in a lot of rotation on MTV, which Lonnie just reminded us, you know, the importance. Yeah, there you go. What's that? Uh, all Night? Um, who Wants yeah, to Be Lonely? Say, oh, was that? Oh, that was one of your favorite Yeah, it's Who Wants to Be Lonely. Yeah, I can't tell the difference between the videos. So. I thought you were going to say, oh, oh, that was one of your top three kiss songs. No. Here, I'll, uh, <laughs> I, 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 can, I can make that really the, easy. The, the, the 14 in me does remember the twins. Um <laughs> But on, on this album, again, it's uh, it's a hodgepodge of co-writers. I mean, I've never figured out the Howard Rice connection um, with that. So it, it's more about Desmond Child again, who has you know four co-writes on this album, and you know it, it's pretty bottom of the barrel to be to be perfectly frank when you can compare the quality of his work even on Animalize songs like Radar for Love are just not particularly good yeah to me um and julian loves asylum remember yeah and i love asylum <laughs> but the quality you know comparatively i'm alive uh no but he, he absolutely hits it out of the ballpark with king of the mountain so you know and who wants to be lonely he's you know the other co-write so you have uh you know desmond child is is a good addition on this album as is Jean. So, Lonnie, thoughts on Asylum? I think Desmond Child, I think you said it about Desmond Child and his contributions on the album. King of the Mountain is fantastic. It's one of my favorite Kiss songs. It, definitely one of my favorite Kiss songs from the 80s. Um, just the way that kicks off. You met, I mean, they can't play that song now, though, unfortunately, Paul Stanley's vocal range. But can you imagine, like, even on, like, a Kiss cruise or something, they guess started out and just Eric Singer did that drum intro and they went in the King of the Mountain, the crowd would go berserk. But Yeah, and they, I think Eric Singer could sing that easily. No, that's a good it's a good would be interesting too. They could so they could pull it off. But, I mean they couldn't do it like on an arena tour or a shed tour or something because 
a fraction of the people that are there would even know the song today. I mean, honestly, it would go over like a fart in church or something for most of the people there. But it'd be awesome to hear it. I mean, that's one of my favorite kids songs in the 80s, like I said. But the um, other co-writes on there. I mean, who wants movie though with, with who wants to be lonely? I'm, I'm with you there. I mean, you got to remember that MTV was huge and that spawned a lot of success of, of Asylum again, like it did for Analyze. But, um, you know, it's a, that's a great song. It's one of my, that's also one of my favorites too. So as much as I give Julian crap about Asylum, two of my favorite kiss songs from the eighties or two of my favorite kiss songs period do appear on Asylum with King of the Mountain and who wants to be lonely. So, but here, here's the real head scratcher. It took Paul Stanley, Desmond Child, it's a little John Bouvera to write uh, on two co-writers. Oh my goodness! It took that many people. I mean, that's like one of these modern rap songs that's written by eighteen people <laughs> and only uses four words. I mean, that's great. All, all that's missing from All Night is having three different producers. So, well, but but was <laughs> a deadly weapon has four on that. Yeah, but that's two different songs. So you know, I know that's <laughs> that's why I refuse to accept that as a co-write because four when people you, to come up with that. No, it, it wasn't. Gem. It wasn't four people who came up with it. It is they took someone else's song and said, "We're going to use this part of it on our song." And me. yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. It, the the original version of "Party" uh, is on Wendy's second album, so "Commander of Chaos," and you can just see what they borrowed and they gave them credit, so it's all legit. And they made "Deadly Weapons." I, I don't think it needed much doing to it because I like the original demo, but. It's just the marriage of two different songs rather than a co-write. So, Ken, your thoughts on Asylum? Yeah, um, a lot of co-writers, a lot of co-writers. Uh, again, Child is there, um, does a great job. Uh, something that we didn't mention yet is, you know, we've got uh, Bruce, Bruce Grelick, um, contributing on, what, three songs, I think, here. Um, so he's starting to, you know, give some input, which is, a, I think, a good thing. Um Especially like a song like maybe Trial by Fire, you know, uh, helping Gene maybe finish up some stuff that he would normally complete on his own. Um, and then there's, uh, what's the other one? I'm Alive. And that's with Child, too, um, and Stanley. So, uh, and he did that also with King of the Mountain. So I think those three there uh, together wrote some pretty good stuff. Um and it's good that I think Gene had a couple, a little bit, a little more help here because uh, the, his material on Asylum is is better than, obviously, much better than what was on Animalize. So um, it was a good thing. Sorry, that's okay. It sounded like you're moving your desk. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. Sorry, Ken, we weren't laughing at you. <laughs> no, it's alright. Mark, you're up with your thoughts on Asylum. Well, um, Asylum is one of those records where I'm going to be a bit biased on it because it is my favorite non-makeup album. So to me, you can't really do too much wrong with this record in my eyes. I know that's probably going to be laughed at by many a people, but kissing up. The I, know, I know, I know, I know. Julian's and <laughs> Julian's in my corner for this at least, but yep. you know, but but. It's again. It to me, you know, they they took what they did on Animalize and hope to kind of continue and move forward and you know hope for the same sort of success where you know 
as much as this didn't sell as much, it still is, I think it is a platinum album when it was all said and done. Um, so it's not that bad. I think, I mean, it did have three singles, which was, you know, pretty good for a record of that uh, time period. Um, Desmond Child, I think, as a writer, again, showed his, you know, his strength. I think, I think mainly he's more contributes lyrically as far as songs go. I mean, I know he always comes up with little melody ideas as well. I mean, I remember hearing them talking about him during a Bon Jovi sort of uh, song analyses where he, where he said he brought up a, a melody that was similar to Billie Jean that ended up being the riff for You Give Love a Bad Name. If you think about it, it's the same thing. Do, 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 do. That bass line in Billie Jean is the same thing as You Give Love a Bad Name. And he pretty much scooped that out and gave it to them and said, hey, why don't we just do that and bam, they had a single. So, I mean, he, he kind of has a pulse on what connects with people, I think. And I think that's Desmond Child's main thing as a writer is that he knows what clicks with people and how to make it work with other people's music. So, you know, King of the Mountain, he's, he was on, and he's on, uh, you know, a couple of the other songs too. I'm Alive, he's credited for, right? And same as with uh, All Night. I mean, those are far from any kind of masterpieces, I'm sure. But, you know, still, they're his contributions to this to the start to the songs i mean the other guys like uh jean, jean bouvier there i mean he 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 again he's he's more of a musical contributor i think i mean he also played bass don't forget on a couple of the songs on this record for for gene for a while whether he was uninspired or he was out doing a movie or who knows what he was doing at that time but you know there's a there's an example of a writer who contributes more than just writing music he actually played it too right so that's a interesting thing and i think if i'm not mistaken i think alan schwartzberg is credited for doing some additional drumming stuff on this too which is kind of interesting because uh you know i wonder what eric carr couldn't have done that he did you know what i mean it just kind of boggles my mind always but <clears throat> but I, I, again this is another one of those records where i i love it everything is good I mean, it's the first record with Bruce Kulick on it, too, right? And I think he, his guitar playing is stellar on this. I love his guitar playing. And I think, if anything, his playing helped with some of these songs. I mean, Tears Are Falling, the guitar solo is one of the best guitar solos he's done on that song. You know, Who Wants to Be Lonely is a really great song, and all his guitar playing in that is awesome, too. So I think the songwriters, I think more so on this record than Animalize, the, the co-writers did have a little bit more of a better stamp on the songs than the previous ones. Yeah, that, 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 I would have to agree with that. And I'd also have to say that the songs that Desmond Child co-wrote on this album are better than the songs that he co-wrote on the previous album, you know, just because of King of the Mountain. Oh, you know, kind, and kind of trumps sorry. everything. Can I just say one thing? Like, this is why I ran out. I got this book because I, I got this. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because we were talking about the Howard Rice thing, right? And it says here, Gene said, for any way you slice it, I was living at the time in Beverly Hills with Diana Ross. Across the street from her home lived Howard Rice, an engineer and a writer. He later wound up writing and producing a big hit with Patti LaBelle, New Attitude. Howard showed me some chordal patterns, which I liked very much. I sat down and wrote the lyrics and melody very fast. So that, that was his involvement. So that, that was a very polite credit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, probably what what five percent maybe. Um, all right, let's move on to Crazy Nights and Crazy Nights Dream. Yeah, uh, well, I don't know about that, but 
Crazy Nights for Me is an album that um, I, I once said to someone when we were talking about Motley Crue of all bands, that if Theater of Pain had had the sonic sound of Shout at the Devil, it would have been one of the best albums ever. So just just take that for what it is. If Crazy Nights had the sonic signature of Asylum, it would have been a damn sight better than it was. So um, either people think I'm a complete idiot or <laughs> I am a complete idiot. So Crazy crazy Nights, we, we, we bring in some new songwriters here. Adam Mitchell really, really comes back in, in with, you know, co-writing with Paul. Um, and you get Desmond showing up. You've got Bruce Turgan showing up and David Sigerson. Um, and what is it? Peter Divins, Diggins. I got to look that Diggins. up. Yeah. Peter Diggins. So yeah. again, it's and Mitch Weissman and for the first Diane time, Warren. Diane Warren. So I'm going to start <laughs> at the bottom there with Mitch Weissman and thief in the night. That should have been on animalize, but, uh, you know, obviously it had been used already in, in 84, for Wendy Williams, but of the songs that Mitch co-wrote, I think Thief in the Night is probably the best for for my taste. Really good. It's got the, the atmosphere, and again, it's hard to decipher what exactly his role is, but for a co-written song, you know, that's the best of the unmasked error for his contributions to the band. Diane Warren, you know, I, I think she really brings a whole new perspective to the band because, you know, she hadn't really started her explosion in the songwriting world at that point. But you see what she's like kind of bringing to the picture uh, on Turn on the Night. It's the anthemic song that Paul Stanley loves, but it's got a song craft to it that's really excellent. So I, I, that's an, another one of the standout songs on this album because no matter who's co-writing for me, I just can't get past the high-pitched vocals. And I, it it really ruined the album for me when I went and bought it and listened to it. I just, I, I, I'm still recovering from it all these years later. Ken, what's your thoughts on the co-writing on Crazy Nights? I think the co-writing is, is great and across the board, except for No, 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 in my opinion. Um, but everything else, uh, they're all pretty darn good well-written songs complete um so it's really a, a production issue with this album uh the way the production like you said the high-pitched vocals which is probably a copying of other you know lead singers that are singing in that octave well, um, jim well, who's his what's his name jim gillette jim gillette yeah jim gillette. Nitro. Nitro. yeah yeah so um uh, you know there was no need to do that. I don't know what the thought there was. I guess it was just a, a, another we're following again, um, as as with the sound of the album as we're following again. So, but the song quality, the song, uh, I mean, they're great. Like you said, the Diane Warren song "Turn On a Night," that should have been probably the first single off off the album. It may it may have done better had that come out first. Um, <clears throat> again. Um, these, like I said, with Desmond Child, he wrote three songs. Uh, I think one of the songs out of the three are his best one. So it's, again, you get a hit out of it. Reason to Live, a thirty-three percent again, like I said earlier on another album. So um, it's good to write a few with him because you're going to get something pretty good. Um, but again, the craftsmanship they took time on this one to write good songs to try to make a well, big well, hit album, but. No. 
I think the production brought it down. They took their time and still came up with Bang Bang You. Yeah, mercy. Yeah, that could have been better had it been produced, you know. Yeah. Could have been better left on the cutting room floor, that one. That, that's one of the few songs that has always made me cringe from the, from the moment I heard that at 15, 16 years old to this day. That is my, that's right up there with Read My Body. So More than No, No, No. No, no, no. I don't mind. I, that's just like it's. It's. I'm oblivious to it. It just like happens. It finishes and disappears into the ether. Mm, bang, bang. You happens. actually makes me have a physical response, and it's usually, you know, grabbing, Violent. grabbing for the skip button. You know. Well, yeah. <laughs> when, it, when it comes up on the uh, on a playlist, no, it's no, no. I, I go, yeah, no. And well, it's not on a playlist song. for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, what's your thought on the co-writing on Crazy Nights? Well, um, I think it's interesting that this album had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven co-writers on it, which was quite a large amount when you think about it for a record. I mean, that to me would have been a warning sign about this record because it seems like the more writers you bring in, the more you distill the original formula out of it, right? When you just leave it between Gene and Paul, there, you know, then then you have the heart, the essence of the Kiss songwriting, right? Um, but with that said, I mean, Crazy Nights is a great song, so Adam Mitchell should get full kudos for that. As for I'll Fight Hell to Hold You, I, I don't mind that song. It's it's one of the more stronger ones, and it was smart that they made them one and two on the record, I think, because it starts off good, because before you know it, you're into Terrible Land with Bang Bang You and No, 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 right? Which No, 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 if anything, does have some of Bruce Kulik's more acrobatic guitar playing in it which you know kind of shows him off to be a player of great skill and technique which is something that was you know pretty important during that time of the 80s people all wanted to show that they had a great guitar player in their band so mm-hmm. you know that's just like kiss to make sure that they're not left out in those departments right so but the thing that i found that's interesting about this is that this record they waited a year just to use ron nevison to do this album right so they had all the songs written and in the book here that i just showed you a couple of minutes seconds ago there he, he even mentions in there that he considers the, the failure of this record his fault more than he points it on the songs because right here it says in his own words that he says he goes maybe the record was too soft sounding maybe people expected kiss to sound more rock that maybe that's my fault. It was a gamble to make them more pop. I had just had success with Ozzy with Shot in the Dark from The Ultimate Sin. I was rolling on a high and thought, what the heck? It worked with everybody else, but I was confident in the songs. So right there, obviously, he, he was pretty confident in the songwriting and figured that what he did to the songs was what hurt the record. You know, I I kind of am 50-50 with that because I don't care if you brought in Bob Ezrin or if you brought in Bob Rock, you ain't going to make no, no, no good, neither bang, bang you. They're still going to turn out to be turds floating in a toilet when it's all said and done, right? So I, I think that the songwriters that were involved in this record, the very many of them there, I mean, they all chipped in what they could, I get, I think. I mean, Turn, Turn On The Night is one of my favorite songs on this record. And Diane Warren's a co-writer on that. And I, from what I remember, I'm pretty sure that Paul had nothing but good things to, to say about that song, right? So, but, you know, yeah, I mean, 
the, the people that are involved in this most of the time are people that now I get the feeling they want to work with. It's not that these people are being forced onto them, I don't think, right? So, yeah, you know, this album's, you know, it's it's a whole bunch of different choices that the band made, you know, and the co-writers did their jobs on this album. Yeah. You know, no matter what we say about, you know, no, 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 and, you know, that's a, that's all KISS members, um, but Bang Bang You, you know, that's obviously... They had an idea about what they wanted in the song or else it wouldn't have gone on the album. So, you know, sonically, you listen to the demos and they're a hell of a lot better than the fully produced, um, you know, versions. But, Ken, have I have I asked Ken, you? I already. I'm, yes. losing, I'm losing track. Lonnie. Um, you know, you're talking about Crazy Nights and the co-writers on it. Um, I think Adam Mitchell, despite what... You know, we talk about the production on Crazy Nights. We can, that's a whole show in itself. I can talk about that. But the um, co writes that Adam Mitchell contributed with Crazy Crazy Nights and I'll Fight Hell to Hold You when your walls come down, I think, you know, are, are really done well. I think Adam Mitchell really, this is maybe his, some of his best co writes um, with Kiss or on those three songs. And, you know, I was really, I really like I'll Fight Hell to Hold You. And I was really surprised that that wasn't chosen as as a single off the album because and i think mark made a good point where crazy nights right in the outfight held a hold of you are, are really good a one-two punch for the band to open up the album with i mean it's not detroit rock city king of nighttime world but it's it's a really good one-two punch to open up the album and i, I really like both those songs and i think adam mitchell and i don't know how much he contributed to them but i mean He's he's on both of them, and I think that you know those are those are really good songs on the album. Um, Thief in the Night. I like the uh, actually like the Wendy Williams version better than the than the Kiss version of, of that song. It's it's I don't know. It's and and I guess you know it's just the production off of off of Crazy Nights, and you got to remember it's 1987 and what other bands were doing and. It's Kiss trying to be relevant and be in with what's in with MTV and bands like Def Leppard and Bon Jovi getting a lot of attention at the time. Um, the rawness of and rawness of like a Guns N' Roses hadn't really hit yet. Appetite was released in, in July of '87, so that really hadn't caught on or anything. And you know, but the flashy hair. And videos like that, you look at the videos for the videos for Crazy Crazy Nights are awful, but that's that's something else too. But um, I think Adam Mitchell really shines for me on this album as far as as far as the co-writes go. And Desmond Child with My Way, and Reason, but he did have Reason to Live, so I'll give Desmond Child a. You know, reason to live and turn on the night. I mean, for and me, turn on the night. The, those in terms so, of songs are are far better. I mean, crazy, so I'll crazy give him nights. A, you know, second place for for a co-writer on the album. But I, Adam Mitchell did a great job, in my opinion. If had the production of had Crazy Nights come out maybe like in '89, like after the the shift, you know, almost the shift going away from the hair metal. You know, because you saw that Motley Crue had gotten away from it by the time Dr. Feelgood had come out. They've gotten away from that, that flashy look after 
appetite had come out and the shift kind of happened away from all that hair and stuff. I think Crazy Nights had it been released in 89 or something like that, or maybe 90 under a different producer. Could have. We, we could look at that album totally. I think a lot of people could look at the album totally different. No, I'm with you that you, you're not going to polish. No, no, no. You're not going to polish Bang Bang You into, into hits. But I think some of the some of the singles and some of the tracks that we talked about, like Reason to Live or like Crazy Nights or like Turn On The Night, could have been a little edgier and could have given it a lot more punch. And we could have just looked at that album in a different light. So. But Adam Mitchell and, and Desmond Child for me on that album, first co-writers. Agreed. I'd like to, I'd like to say that this that out this album would be a great heart album, <laughs> not a never yeah. a great kiss album. If right. you listen to it, I could hear, you know, a fight hell. I could hear you know Ann Wilson singing that. She could, I mean, that would be oh, a yeah. great fit one for the belt. Reason to live sounds like a heart song at that period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just. And again, you did work on that. It's too, a hard, right? It should be, a, yeah, exactly. He produced uh, their hard yeah. album, so yeah, it's it's a hard album in my opinion, not a Kiss album. Yep. All right, let's go mm. all the way down the drain. Smashes their ashes and hits. At least there's only two songs to mm. talk about, and Desmond Child co-wrote them both. Um, Diane Warren, of course, gets the third credit mm. on you make me rock hard which for me is the better of the two songs but that's really not saying an awful lot um pretty dire songs i i just don't see the passion or the reason it's like you know let's write a song okay it's written let's record it okay here you go polygram put out that greatest hits package done okay bye you know it, it really strikes me as rushed low quality let's put the x and sex is by far one of the worst kiss songs ever um it's in that same category with Read My Body and Bang Bang You and mm. Nothing Can Keep Me From You from mm. it. You know, those those are the, the, the four evil songs. Um you know, there's just for me there's nothing to say about these two. These are ones with Desmond Child that don't work. The one that has Diane Warren works a little bit better than the other. So Really? For me, you yeah. Like- do you like Rock Hard better than Let's Put the X in Sex? Yeah. Um, collecting bootlegs and all of that stuff. When I heard that eight-year-old girl singing Let's Put the X in Sex, ah. I was never able to listen to ah. that song again um, no. without feeling filthy, feeling dirty, <laughs> feeling... feeling it, it's, it's just wrong. You know, the, the song was wronged on so many levels. So parents... Please don't let your children sing Let's Put the X in Sex. Ever. Didn't they put that on, like, didn't they put that eight-year-old girl singing that on either the Second Coming or on the MTV video? I've seen it. It's on one of the one of those yeah, two also. Yeah, and, and I, like, I, I... Why are you showcasing that? I already didn't so, like the song, but that just pushed it over the edge in terms of, you know, I never, ever, ever want to hear that song again. Um, it's just too awkward and wrong. Ken, these 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 two songs. What are your thoughts? Well, again, it, I would have said if you if they did a third song, they would have gotten their hit. Third song with <laughs> Child on this. They just need to write one more. They would have gotten a hit right. off of this. Album. One out of three. Uh, but you know the the two. You know it's the sixty six percent. You know no good. So um, <laughs> let's put the X and Sex. Yeah, I never liked the song um, so much, and you make me rock hard. Not that either. So. Uh, I, I wish they would have just left them, yeah, left them off of this thing, um, and just give us maybe a couple more 
classic Kiss songs to throw on there. Um, so yeah, it, it was a bad attempt. Uh, nothing, nothing else good to say about it. I mean, if you think about it, the previous year they'd said that they recorded twelve songs for Crazy Nights, you know, and the the twelfth one is "Are You Always This Hot." Why wasn't that? If it was fully produced, fully ready to go, all of yeah. that, why didn't they just put that on instead of right having on. to record? I just love to... that title. Yeah. <laughs> so cheese that is. You know, I I I don't get it, Mark. Well, can, uh, can anyone the... can anyone say anything nice about these two songs? And that that's the challenge. Well, you're you're gonna get a big no. X from me on that, but because I'm telling you, this album really, really bothers me in every way, even beyond the two songs. I mean, I've never liked this record. The fact that it's their highest selling record of the of the like in their last what twenty years now really bothers me even more. But I mean, it, it's just terrible. I mean, the, the the best way to put it is exactly what it says right here. X and Sex wound up to be a second-rate version of Addicted to Love by Robert Palmer. Working at that point with Desmond Child and Diane Warren, who were both brilliant writers, I think we crossed a dangerous line into kitsch. Now, I think that that's 100% true. This song is horrible. And he even says here, too, Paul, saying that this song was written three days before going into the studio. So obviously there was no real effort put into these songs to write two songs in three days like that. He probably just slapped it together went in there recorded it and that was that and i mean honestly i've never liked these songs i mean i remember when i got this on cassette years ago when i first when it first came out Mm -hmm. uh, it lasted a week and it was gone i mean what really bothered me about it too besides those two songs were how they remixed some of the other songs i just thought it was just like i just didn't like the way they sounded i'm like what are you doing messing with this i mean double platinum was light years better than this album, in my opinion. I just, you know, just didn't like it. And I didn't like that they'd made Eric sing Beth as well. I mean, as much as he did a good job on it, whatever. Just this record, I just, I hate it. I don't like it. And Desmond Child, I'm, I'm sure he tried to do his best that he could with this, but, you know... It's shit. I'm sorry. I I, I I can't put it any other way than that. I mean, it's just horrendous. Oh, I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lonnie. You, um, last chance to say something nice. The the one I can't say one thing about the album itself is that um, the album came out in '88, and it was actually my first exposure to some of these songs like and I'm, like like deuce and strutter and songs like that that i hadn't had yet because you know it's still the 80s and i'm like eight or nine years old this time like when smash and thrash and it comes out so i hadn't heard you know the original versions of deuce or strutter or, or calling dr love for that matter you know it was my first exposure to a lot of those songs and you know, maybe maybe there's something wrong with being eight or nine years old, and I get an album and it has and it kicks off with "Let's Put the X in Sex" and you make me rock hard. But <laughs> as much as I complain sometimes about my mom on this show, she did let me listen to whatever I wanted to, so I will give her that. Um, and maybe maybe she shouldn't have let me listen to those two songs because I'm not going to say anything nice about those two songs because they are god awful, and I I can't. 
I can't listen to them. They're they're basically unlistenable. And it's Paul and you know you watch those videos and it's Paul Stanley without even a guitar. Paul Stanley is the front man, and it's and it's like they hadn't gotten it yet. That why are you? I don't know. The the videos themselves are, are more bothersome to me than the songs because the videos are just atrocious, and the way the band is showcased in those videos. It's hard in 1988. It's hard not to make fun of those videos when they came out because, and, and I know I talk about Guns N' Roses quite a bit on the show lately, but you know, Sweet Child of Mine had hit, and Guns N' Roses looked really cool in Sweet Child of Mine by late '88 when that video was was really big. And here they come out in the flashy colors, still like they're they're a couple years behind. You know what I mean? They, and it, they just look, and they're singing, "Let's put the X in sex," and you make me rock hard, and it looked so forced and so put on and it, and it's just awful yeah it's so called, many levels. It's no chasing trends. i don't want to no. see it jackass look at that <laughs> so Faceless. bad except that this is kiss history right there <laughs> you want to look at it look at it oh no. look i wish i could turn off your screen accept it this is what they were doing accept it <laughs> so bad. Oh, that is awful. But you know that that was the '80s, and they were chasing trends, and they were, you know, sticking so with Desmond, bad. riding with him, you know, hope hoping for that elusive hit. You know, maybe thinking, well, you know, Crazy Nights went to number four in, in England. Well, that's a good reason not to write with Desmond Child ever again. If you if you get a hit song in England, you oh. know, you're doomed in the '80s. So it's just oh. '70s, you're fine because that would have meant Slade. But uh, '80s, uh-uh. No. All right, let's get out of uh, that you. one and get into something that's probably a little bit more of a mess, and that is... <laughs> doesn't get much better. Hot in the Shade. And I'm straight out of the bat, um, Bob Halligan Jr. Fantastic writer in that he wrote <laughs> Take These Chains for Judas Priest. I know so, where we're going with this. And then he wrote Read My Body for Kiss. <laughs> mm. I mean, Bob, can we please have you co-write something like Take These Chains for for Kiss? Um, and he did, Rise to It, which yeah. um, I remember I was living in Singapore at the time this album came out, and I, I was actually able to f- find an import of this, and I was thrilled. First song, okay, it's got a little bit of acoustic intro. And, and, Cinderella. Yeah, Cinderella. Uh, very mm-hmm. long, cold, winter-ish. So... And then it gets into the song, and I was like, okay, this is great. You know, Paul Stanley's got someone who, who's this Halligan guide. I mean, I didn't really make the connection back then with the Judas Priest. And I was like, okay, you know, it's a little bit different than the normal stuff Paul writes. I liked it. So, you know, from that perspective, I was like, okay, thrilled. And then, of course, we got down the 800 miles on side one to the 29th track, and Read My Body comes up. And then I was like, Bob Halligan. What the hell are you doing to this band? You start off so so strongly. Oh, that's the uh, the non-black and white version of the video. Yeah. Ross Tewin. So, Bob Halligan, I, I mean, maybe like Ken has said with, you know, Desmond Child, that if ha- he needed to write a few more songs on the album and, you know, there would have been some better ones. But Rise to It is, is a good contribution. And then we have co-writers like Tommy Thayer. Mm-hmm. Tommy, mm-hmm. and you know what? I like both his songs, so fuck you, Tommy haters. Um, 
<laughs> <Hot take again. laughs> um, but I think the most important thing on on Hot in the Shade is Vinny Poncia coming back into the picture. Obviously, he had great pop sensibilities that really benefited what the band were going for with Dynasty and Unmasked. And I think they do it again here. But what the difference is, is that the material just isn't good enough to begin with. And it kind of neuters it down and makes it safe and kind of too poppy and too kind of like calculated for what it is. So it doesn't really work. So it was nice to see him back on there. But none of those songs that he co-wrote, co-wrote are particularly good. Um, Silver Spoon, Cadillac Dreams, uh, King of Hearts. Oh. Yeah, somewhere between heaven and somewhere hell. Somewhere between heaven and you hell. Know, Love's there, a slap in the face. Uh, you know, there's something there. On all of those songs, there's something there. But it just... It's not there, and and that's the whole problem with the whole album, no matter who's co-writing, with the exception of Forever, um, which is just Michael Bolton, f- absolutely fantastic. Yes. If if I'm going to pick any song out of the catalog that has someone completely disassociated with the band, you know, not a producer, not an insider, a friend, you know, this is just one of the best co-written songs ever recorded by Kiss, so, um, you know. Let's mm-hmm. let's try and give someone else a chance to talk about this. Um, Mark, what's your thoughts? Well, I only have a few things to say about this record. I mean, number one, there's again, there's a lot of co-writers on these records, but I mean, the one thing about this record that's really hurt it is the fact that there are so many saws, and this is a direct result of the problem between CD and vinyl. As soon as you brought in the medium of CD. No, Gone was the 45-minute album where you had to sit there, write 15 songs, say, okay, you know what? Now I'm forced to have to think for a second. What are my best songs here? And we got to keep those ones on here. Because when you had 70 to 80 minutes, all of a sudden it's like, hey, we can write 17, 18 songs and put them all on now because we don't. there's no way that we have any reason to take them off now because they can, they can fit on a record, which is, I think, exactly what they did here. And again, I mean... Vinny Poncia, I was happy to see him back on here too. There's always something about Vinny Poncia when he works on stuff that there's a, I always get this feeling of like, it's like a comfortable sofa almost where you sit and you're like, you know what? Uh, this is familiar territory. I don't hate these songs. I don't love them. Certainly they're nothing like dynasty. Like that to me was a much better Vinny Poncia record, but you know, it's, there's just something about his songs where I, I don't totally dismiss them, you know? I mean, obviously, you know, Read My Body is easily the the most hideous Kiss song in the catalog ever written. I mean, their poor attempt to pour some sugar on me, obviously, on here. It's just it's just terrible. But again, there were things that were going against them on this record. You know, again, they rode with a lot of people. I think they tried to dip their fingers into too many different areas with this. They should have just had a direction, stuck with it kept it to eight songs, nine songs. And, you know, I understand that money was a little tight in their situation in the, with management. Other things might have been a little hairy-carry at this point. But, you know, they admitted it themselves. They found a good demo studio, demo studio, to record the sin. And Gene was credit, quoted as saying that he was constantly bickering and arguing with people to buy cheap tape so that they didn't have to spend so much money on the recording of this. And it shows, I mean... You know, if you start buying cheap garbage 24-track 2-inch tape, you know, on top of poor songs, now you have poor tape, 
and everything else on top of it, and you don't even have a producer, it's just Gene and Paul again, this this record was doomed from the get-go. I mean, sure, they're lucky that they had Forever and Rise to It and Hide Your Heart and stuff like that. Those are great songs. And maybe because they wrote so many songs, they lucked out and a couple of those worked out for them. But I'm telling you, I think when I kept those three cut out a bunch of the other ones and kept it to nine songs and really sat down with some of these co-writers. Like, you know, we know that Benny Ponzi is a good co-writer as well as a producer. Why didn't they get him to produce the record? You know, they, you know, Michael Bolton with Stanley writing forever was just magic. So that's great. Right. But I mean, Tommy Thayer betrayed is a great song. You know, that's for once he had a good song, but I mean, sit down, focus on these things and just really, you know, hammer it out, and there you go, right? I just think that there's just way too much here. And I, I don't know many people who can sit through this record top to bottom and listen to it from beginning to end without any interruption. That's my final analysis. Lonnie, what's your thoughts on it? I know, actually, before you say that, I remember in the rock magazines, you know, that were coming out before this album, you know, them talking about why they, they brought Vinny back in, you know, was you know, to tighten up the songwriting and help them in that area, make the the, the material more accessible. But obviously it did not work. So, Lonnie, thoughts? Well, again, like Crazy Nights, there's a ton of co-writers. And, it's, and, and I guess it's just really trying to find a, find a, a way to get a hit. And they did get one with a co-writer with Michael Bolton. But you have Desmond Child who gives them Hide Your Heart, which is great. But he also gives them Love Me to Hate You. Back to Ken's formula. You can't get too many good ones in a row. <laughs> and you have Sean Hannigan with Rise to It, which is good. But he gives you Read My Body, which is awful. Adam Mitchell is a co-write with Little Caesar, which is not very good. God awful. Tommy Thayer gives them Betrayed and Street Give It, Street Give It, Take It Away, which are decent. Had been produced better, might have been really great. But Vinnie Pon, you guys were singing Vinnie Ponce's praises, and I have a problem with that because he gave them Somewhere Between Heaven and Hell, Cadillac Dreams, King of Hearts. I love Cadillac Silver Dreams. Spoon. You do? Yes. And loves a slap in the face. Five songs that are not. And Mark said, "Well, maybe they got him to produce." I think he did enough. <laughs> I don't need any more from Vinnie Ponzi <laughs> on this record. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't need any more of Vinnie Ponzi than what he gave me on this record. It's, you know, it's it's not good to. to to quote Donald Trump, it's not he's not Vinnie Poncio is not doing well on this album. <laughs> <laughs> Everything Trump is not doing well. But um it it was it's too much and and part of the problem too, Mark hit on that, is that all of a sudden you could put 70, 75 minutes worth of music on a CD, and just because you can put seventy-five minutes on a CD doesn't mean you should. And yeah. I think that ah, Hot in the Shade is a direct, is a perfect example of that. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And had you gotten rid of some of these shit songs, like like a Read My Body, like a Silver Spoon, crap like that, mm. and, 
and condensed it down to about nine or ten songs. Get rid of, you know, Little Caesar. Get rid of Boomerang and get some shit on the album. It may it may not leave as bad of a taste in your mouth as it does. Get rid of some of these other co-writers. You know, if if Desmond, if you take one Desmond Child song and take Hydra Heart and leave off "Love Me to Hate You," you take "Rise to It," but leave off but leave off "Read My Body." You know, you take some of those co-written songs, but leave off others and condense it down to about nine or ten songs. We might just like my just like we were talking about Crazy Nights. If you had a different producer, you might think, or had it come out in 1989 with a different producer and an edgier sound, had you take Hot in the Shade and leave off some of these co-written songs and condense it down to nine or ten songs, we might think differently of Hot in the Shade. Yeah, and if Hide Your Heart hadn't been released by 18 different bands around the same time, um, you know, if it had well, only been a Kiss song, they might have had a big album. And by your former lead guitarist. Yeah, you know, that that just sapped, you know, some of that song's energy. I mean, they could have had two good singles off that, because obviously Rise to It didn't work, but, you know, Hide Your Heart, when all the energy's gone with, you know, God, I, you know, everyone else who'd, who'd recorded it. Ken, what's your take on it? Yeah, well, where Crazy Nights was overproduced, this al- this album is underproduced. Um, and yes, it's a bunch of demo, more of a demo form um, that they're trying to clean up, and it didn't clean up enough. Um, in my opinion, they should have, yeah, shortened the album for sure. I think they should have dropped the last four songs, plus Read My Body. Um and then that would have been a more solid album that would have went over well, a lot better, uh, as a you know maybe a better rated album in you know Kiss, uh, Kiss fans wise. Um, but yeah, Poncia didn't really help much in the songwriting thing. Um, I do like uh, you, Jillian, the Thayer songs that with Simmons are great. Um, I think that really is a good combination there. Um, just well done songs. Uh, the yeah, Stanley Bolton thing was pretty lucky, I think, that they got somehow that happened. Um, and maybe saved it because it could have been a lot worse had that not been on there. Um, and so, yeah, and you got the Halligan, the child thing. Of course, yeah, we know the child thing that we've talked about before. It's hit or miss with him. Um, so, eh, it's it's more to me. It's more not songwriting. I mean, there's some decent songs on there, but if they just trimmed the fat and to the best ten songs, and then it would have been, and they produced it better, it would have gone over well. I think. Yeah, right. No, right now, it, it really is. You know, it's not even underproduced. It's almost unproduced. You know. I've always felt that yeah. you know, one of the press releases that came out in advance was that something wicked this way comes is going to be on this in, instead, and that would have been a far better song um, to have included. So, you know, it's it's you know probably the most hodgepodgey album of the '80s. I mean, we know that it it didn't translate into a great selling album, even having a number eight, you know, hit. But it did at least allow them their biggest tour of the, you know, that era. You know, obviously they didn't start until 1990, but. Uh, you know, 127 dates. It was kind of the road back for the band. As bad as the album is, as you know, uninspired as the co-writing is, is is in many cases on all the songs. So, you know, 
We're going to do one more album in this episode because, uh, you know, time is going on and we're going to finish up with Revenge. And, Lonnie, I'm just going to go straight to you for this one. (laughs) All right. I'll take the reins. Well, Revenge, you have Return of Vinnie Vincent with three three co-writes, Unholy, I Just Wanna, and Heart of Chrome. Um, Violet Ezrin, obviously, is back after a hiatus from Kiss. And Ezrin gives him co-writes with Tough Love, Take It Off, Guy Gave Rock and Roll to You, Every Time I Look at You, and Paralyzed. Bob is all over the album. Um, and, Heart, and Heart of Chrome, too. Bob has a co-write on, on Heart of Chrome as well. So Vinny, Bob, and, and Paul Stanley on Heart of Chrome. But, um, I mean, Bob Ezrin, to me, you know, he produced my two favorite Kiss albums with Destroyer and, and, and Revenge and one of Julian's favorites with the Elder. So, you know, and we're not going to, I'm not going to criticize. I'm not, you're not going to get a lot of criticism out of me from, from Bob's perspective. And I think that Vinny did a great job as well with Unholy. I don't think anyone, uh, Julian didn't really care for Unholy though. Do you, Julian? Not particularly. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I think I think Vinny did, a, a, and then I know you, I know you don't care for. I just want to criticize that. We've got we've gone back and forth on that too. But um, I I think that Bob did a great job of not only co-writing with the band but also producing the album and making it sound. And no one, whether you like the songs on it or not, I think we all agree that the production on Revenge is is the best produced album that Kiss had had in quite some time, maybe since Michael James Jackson with Lick It Up, that it sounds the the edgiest and sounds how Kish, in our opinion, should sound on on a album release. So for me though, on this album, co writing definitely goes to Bob, even more so than Vinny, just because of the number of tracks Bob has his hands on, including every time I look at you, which isn't overly a uh, a rocker, but it's it's still one of it's still a great track and sounds great on the album, but at the same time, we've all agreed too that it sounds even better on on MTV Unplugged. Yeah, and you know that, that's a great mm-hmm. thing. This is kind of like the the heavyweight matchup of uh, you know co-writers, Vinnie Vincent Absolutely. versus Bob Ezrin. But I'm sorry, Bob Ezrin totally wins hands down, just because I don't like Unholy and I don't like particularly care for. I just wanna, you know. <laughs> but. Uh, you know, let's not forget about Jesse Damon and Scott Van Zandt and, yeah. of course, Kane Roberts. But, you know, they're, they're kind of like minor players in, in some a- essence on this album. Um, you know, I'm not a big fan of Take It Off either. I, it, okay. Um, I know. You know, Bob is just there, and I, I think he does exactly what he does on every other Kiss album or every Alice Cooper album, that he just makes things perfect. He cuts out the fat from songs. So, you disagree. All right. Tell me why. You know All right, come on. Out with it. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, 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 I might, I might uh, disappoint some people with this, but honestly, I'll agree with one thing. This is the best-sounding Kiss record, production-wise, that they've had in a long, long time. 
And that's what you come to expect with Bob Ezrin. He's that kind of a guy. But what you also expect from Bob Ezrin is this is the guy when they did Destroyer that corralled these guys together, sat them down, said, that part's not good, ditch that. That's good, let's keep that and work on that. That's not good, let's start something from, something from scratch, let's sit down at the piano and work on something together, and let's write some good songs. Well, where that Bob Ezrin is on this record, I don't know, because if he allowed Spit and a lot of these other garbage songs that are on this album, then, but then I don't know why they even paid him. Take It Off, Tough Love, Spit, it's crap. Like, really? Like, I mean, if Bob Ezrin got paid to, for this, like, really? Who like, are I mean, you? I was going to say, <laughs> Mark, stop. You're making Lottie cry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my the songs that I love on this record are like, I love Unholy. Okay, I got to admit, I love that song. It's a kick-ass. When I first saw the video, I thought, yes, this is going to be awesome. I also heard God Gave Rock and Roll to You, and I like that. I like that song, too. Really good. I thought it was one of the better songs. Went out. My friend got the record. He's playing the band. We sat down in his place. He slapped it on his stereo. Unholy came on. And we were like, yes. It was like Beavis and Butthead time. Head banging, going nuts. Then Take It Off came on. And we are kind of like, eh, what's this? It's kind of a little bit more tamed, a little bit more laid back. And then Tough Love came. And I was like, ooh, this is not good. What is this? And then it all started from there. But as soon as we got the spit... The, the look on the face that we both gave each other when we heard that song. We were like, really? This is like Spinal Tap, okay? This is terrible. Like, this is like Big Bottoms, but like, you know, a rewriting of it, okay? It, come on, Lonnie, you gotta admit it. That, that's also a total, kiss. total rewrite, it's, it's okay? It's Kiss, though, Mark. But, kiss isn't, and, kiss isn't lyrically gen- they aren't lyrical geniuses here. And hang on, hang on. Domino, I'll give credit. I don't mind Domino. It's not a bad song. It's oh, nothing thanks. great. It's just like it's like ZZ Top but with Gene singing on it. Okay, so but then Heart of Chrome came out and I was like head, hand to the forehead again. I was like, did they just rip off their own song here? Like, doesn't this tough love basically it's the same exact riff that it's the same thing? Just rewrote a couple notes and then just copied it and used it in this song. Uh, okay, I mean, I expected a lot more from a Bob Ezrin record than this. Okay, <laughs> but I mean, but honestly, uh, it sounds great. Bruce's guitar playing is phenomenal. It's one of the best playing that he did. I mean, that's one of the highlights of one of the conventions I went to when I saw Bruce. He came there and he had all his little dat tapes of the instrumental versions of these songs, and he soloed and played to them, and it was just awesome. Uh, he he's great. He's he is the standout person on this record. I mean, you know the the, the co-writers. I know that's what we're mainly talking about here. Kane Roberts. He's from Alice Cooper's band. I mean, you know, like I said, Take It Off is not great. You know, I mean, whoever this Van Zant guy is. I mean, maybe it's just a you know maybe it's somebody from Spinal Tap just changed their name to hide their identity or something. But you know, it's Mark is full of hot takes today. <laughs> But, I mean, honestly, this is a record I had high hopes for, and it started good, but to me, it just completely fizzled out, and I just found that hard to believe, considering that who was the man who produced this record. I mean, you look at Destroyer, even look at Elder, and then look at this, and you're like, meh, I don't know. Like, what happened here? It just went from great to pretty good to just no good. And that's my two cents. Ouch. 
Lonnie, rebuttal? I, I think you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, I think the songs on it are, are great. And I've had, I've gone the, with this with you guys before. I think the songs on there are great. I think Bob did, I think, I think Bob did a fantastic job producing Kiss and making them, giving them quality songs with, with what he gave them. And he gave them the formula with, with the, the rocking tune and with the ballad, which was very important at the time in 92 to have a good ballad on your album. Um, and that was a formula that you would follow is that you would release the rocking song and they did with Unholy. And usually they would go, you would go second with a ballad at the time and then come back with another rocking song as your third single. Uh, but, and I, and I think maybe, maybe that if, if, if there's one criticism, maybe they, they should have done that. And followed that formula, and as, as much as I like, I just wanna went with every time I look at you as the second single. I think maybe that could have been different, you know. And and I'm surprised they didn't, especially given the success that they had with Forever. And I mm-hmm. think it was important to them when they did Revenge to have a good ballad on there as well. But they didn't even go to. But they waited. It was the fourth single off of there. Was every time I look at you. Um, which is surprising to me because that was the formula at the time and, and they had the hit with Forever. But we did our revenge show not too long ago. But as far as co-writing goes, Bob Esmond made it is is fantastic. Sorry, Mark. He's 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 fantastic on this album and I think he really brought out the great songs that had been missing from Kiss albums on previous records. I think he was too, I think he was focusing too much on his little computer company at the time there. I think you're crazy. <laughs> Ken, before right, we forget so, about your point of view. Um, <laughs> here it is. Um, Revenge and Lick It Up are probably the best two uh, albums that were without makeup, in my opinion. Those always go one and two with me. Um, but uh, the production, again, like you guys said, is great on it. Um, fantastic production. The thing with some of the songs that are maybe eh, on Revenge are a little bit, uh, I don't know if you would say I'm not finished, but I guess a little corny in, in some some fashion. But, you know, it was Kiss. You know, that's the way it is. Um, I'm glad we had Vinnie Vincent back. Um, he he did a good job. I mean, I just want to, yeah, that's kind of corny. Um, but it's still a good rocking tune, and it, and it really rocks out. The Gene Simmons stuff, Love all the Gene Simmons stuff on here. So you got, you know, the co-write, uh, for instance, uh, that Damon guy. Um, I hadn't heard of before, but, you know, Thou Shalt Not, man, just a great song. Uh, so uh, it would be interesting if he, you know, had written more with Gene to see what he had come up with. Of course, the Simmons, Vinnie Vincent thing, Unholy, is, is great, you know. So I like the album. There was a couple corny things on it. Yeah, you can look back and oh yeah, why did they do that? But uh, it's a pretty solid album, and I really don't skip anything on it, um, including Car Jam even. So uh, it's a good album, and a lot of a lot of guy good co-writers. I mean, they got rid of Desmond Child is gone from this and and, and that sort of thing, on. and Diane Warren or whatever. Um, they obviously said, okay, that's not working anymore. Let's try something else. And I think Ezrin is the, you know, MVP for at least writing, I think, otherwise, other than Vincent. 
Yeah, I was just uh, looking up. Jesse Damon, of course, was uh, in Silent Rage. Which was okay, band, I remember that. Band. Um, signed with Simmons Records, and they're the band that recorded a bunch of demos with Gene, and he wrote a ton of songs with them in this era. So, um, you know, he also sings on the album. So, I'm just looking up some of these song titles and uh, Rotten to the Core. <laughs> he, there you go. He, he did a did a song. Rain keeps falling. Um, mm-hmm. Love is blind. He did a version of with him. Um, Machine, and he he stays in the picture through Carnival Souls. So I mean, as a co writer, you know, you know, it's an okay co write. Nothing spectacular, but I, I think it's pretty clear. Bob is the co writer of note on this album, as would be expected. Um, now we have to try and do the difficult thing for all these albums that we've talked about. Who is the best sure. co-writer of this period, 83 to 92? Um, I'm just going to go straight for Vinnie Vincent. But, yeah. uh, you know, if, if you have to pick someone outside of the band, you know, Vinnie's outside of the band by revenge. So, you know, I don't think either of his contributions are that good on the album. Um, I think taking someone outside of the band, I've got to pick Desmond Child. You know, he contributed the most to the band during that period and while ken you know aptly says you know a lot of it doesn't work you get you know maybe three songs you have one of them's good it's the gene simmons throw it all against the wall and see what sticks effect um that at least they tried and you know this was the guy who had basically made a career after being discovered by paul stanley um so it, it would have been nice for him to have brought back to Kiss the kind of success that his songs had with other bands, notably Bon Jovi, but you know that's just not how things work out. So, favorite song co co writer of this period, Lonnie. Who are you going to go with? You know, I I think that it's it's hard to de- deny um, Vinny's contributions in this period that we're discussing, and I think you bring up a good point with with Desmond Child too. As many uh, clunkers as he may have in this period. He does have some legitimate hits that he co-wrote, co-wrote on the album with King of the Mountain we discuss and Who Wants to Be Lonely and you know, other good tracks like that. So um, I think I'd have to agree with you with Desmond Child as much as he did produce some crap, he did produce some, some good songs as well. So, you know, and, and I had a and I put an honorable mention to Adam Mitchell, um, as much as you know, we may have criticized some of his contributions. Um, you know, there's there's still some good songs that that came out as well. But you know, when you want to talk about Desmond Child too, though, you, you know, we still can't get away from the fact that you know that I think it has to bring him down a little bit of a notch that he produced. Let's he uh, co-wrote on "Let's Put the X in Sexy" and "You Make Me Rock Hard." So. I think it's hard to, to <laughs> sing his praises too much at the same time. Right, but he did not co-write Read My Body, so all, <laughs> all is forgiven. Mark, who's your pick? Well, I think I'm going to go with what you guys said pretty much. I mean, as far as songs that I really liked, I mean, Adam Mitchell, I think, did a great job with a lot of songs through Kiss's catalog. But, I mean, you, you have to go with you know, Desmond Child. I mean, he while he wrote some bad ones he wrote a lot of good ones but i mean for me he was there through most of that period that's what kind of sticks with me more is because i mean Vinny was a great writer but he was you know there for lick it up 
and then didn't appear again until Revenge, right? So to me, that doesn't really qualify to me because he wasn't there for a lot of these other records through this period. There's a lot of other albums, right? So I think Desmond really did a great job through those years, you know, through, you know, the, the Asylum stuff I thought was fantastic. And, you know, he, he did write some bad ones too, but those those songs were really good. And he wrote a few throughout the years, but I think he was he was good throughout throughout the whole this period he was i think better than he more better than he was worse in my opinion good perspective and ken did i ask you i'm totally no, losing track uh, today. <laughs> uh yeah i agree with you guys and obviously Vinny was in the band when we did look it up um, and not when revenge came out but um yeah his songwriting is great with them um but yeah outside the band Desmond Child, yeah. You have to give it to him, even though, you know, 66% of the songs weren't hits. <laughs> I, th I think the percentage is more, 96%? It's probably, even, I don't know, more or less. Yeah, it's probably different. But anyway, uh, yeah, his contributions were good. I mean, they, were, they weren't bad songs. Usually they weren't bad, for the most part. Uh, they're pretty solid. And uh, they probably uh, enhanced or whatever, for instance, more, more Paul Stanley's worked with Paul Stanley's uh, writing style pretty well. So, uh, yep, I'll go with Desmond Child. Without Bang Bang You, No, 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 Read My Body, there never would have been a reunion. Because holy <laughs> shit, you know. Thank you. You just look back at some Great of those analysis. songs and know why they went back to just doing the reunion. Because, yeah. This yeah. All right, guys, that is takes us through 1992. I think if we ever decide to do a part three, hopefully Kiss will have done another studio album um, and actually had some external co-writers um, utilized for the material. But uh, for now, we're going to leave it there. We do thank you for listening to the show. We hope you've enjoyed. Join us on Facebook or on the FAQ message board and let us know who your favorite co-writers are in the 83 to 92 period and why who do you think's the worst who do you should should there be a sniper put on the roof of a recording studio to keep away from uh riding with the band it's you know there's there's a lot of pretty flowers to pick from in this bunch um you know but some of them are actually weeds so yeah, a lot of dandelions yeah <laughs> join us on the board thank you guys for joining me today and we'll see you guys next time Thank you for spending time listening to the KISS FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the KISS FAQ message board and discuss the topic we broadcast today. We hope to see you again.